All right, welcome. If you're visiting this morning or you forgot, we have um, our new Sunday morning structure kicking off this morning. Um, and so just by way of reminder, um, you're going to get a couple of things from me um, here in a second regarding some announcements. All right, then we're going to jump right into 1 Samuel. Okay, we're going to work through 1 Samuel together. Uh, then we'll worship. Um, and so our kids will be coming in here, all right, to worship with us. Hopefully those that are attending the 1030 service will be here at 955 for worship. If they're not, we will all shame them because that is a godly thing and everybody said, amen, amen. all right. I'm just kidding. We, 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 we can leave a bruise on them though. The Bible says that we can bruise one another in love. So if you would like to slug somebody that didn't show up on time, all right, you can do that. Feel free. Good morning, Cindy. Sorry. People hate it when I do that. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I won't go there. I'm going to stick to the Bible before I get in trouble. Um, Isaiah 57. If you got your Bible, you can turn there. Um, Last night, we had um, our blast event up here last night. So if you were a part of that, if you volunteered, um, thank you. All right, thank you for loving on uh, the children. We had 12 families and 40-something kids um, here last night. Um, I was told to uh, give uh, a Danny Malone a, a hand for being a hero. Um, and so... Danny is loving on and kids well. Um, so if you were a part of that last night, thank you. All right. The Bible says that pure and undefiled religion, right, uh, is to love on these families well. Okay. Um, and so thank you. It matters to the heart of God. It matters. All right. Um, here's what we're going to do right off the top here. We're going to spend some time in prayer. Okay, um, in line of what went down um, at the parade, we're just going to spend some time in prayer uh, for our city, for our community, for those who were um, affected. Um, before we do that, let me invite you into something um, over the next um, umpteen weeks, okay? Um, God's laid it on my heart personally. There's some things in my life, right, that, 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 that God has convicted me of. All right? Um, and so that need to go, that need to be gone, that need to get out of my life. And so um, how I'm going to attack, all right, these things is through the discipline of fasting. Okay? That's how I'm going to attack it. We've been talking about these spiritual disciplines for a number of weeks now. Okay? And the purpose of these disciplines, all right, being that, hey, this is a way for me to hear from God. This is not just something to do to call myself a Christian, but this is a way for me to hear from the Lord. This is a way for me to be strengthened by the Lord. And so every Wednesday, all right, leading up to Easter, every Wednesday I'm going to fast. I know I'm not supposed to tell you I'm fasting, all right, but I'm telling you because I'm inviting you all right, if you would like to partake with me in doing this, I'm inviting you into that. The purpose of fasting, right, ultimately it boils down to this. Fasting is about learning to deny yourself. That's what it's about. Learning to deny yourself. You may not have a sin issue with food if you decide to fast from food, Right? You may not have a sin issue with food, but I, but, but, but I do know this. 
If you learn to deny yourself food for 24 hours, right, that principle, that discipline of denying yourself will translate into things you do struggle with, things that you do have a hard time denying yourself of. The principle translates. The discipline translates. Okay, um, and so if you would like to engage in that with me, there's really no better way, I think, leading up to Easter than to practice denying yourself. That is what Jesus did going to the cross. He denied himself, okay? Uh, so every Wednesday, all right, I'm gonna do this. You're more than welcome to join me. Uh, we can have picnics, all right, uh, every Thursday for lunch to celebrate and break our fast. If you'd like, just name the spot. I'll meet you there. All right, we can break the fast together, um, but you're more than welcome to join me in doing that, okay? Uh, let's pray um, together, um, and then we'll jump into 1 Samuel. God, we lift our voice um, collectively as your church. Um, we pray uh, for this community, um, the, 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 the folks um, affected uh, by, what, by what happened. Um, God, we know that we live and we reside in a fallen, broken world. We understand that. We understand that. But it still hurts. It's still painful. And so, God, I pray that uh, your spirit will comfort the community. That your spirit would reveal who you are to the community. You're the great counselor, Scripture says. So, God, we pray that your spirit would counsel. Your scripture says you're the prince of peace. And so I pray that your spirit would bring peace. As we continue this morning, we ask that you make your company with us. As we gather to look at your word and to worship, that your spirit would make company here. And that your presence would provide a hope for us that we need this morning. God, we ask this in the power of your name and in your spirit. And everybody said, amen. All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to start this morning a walk through, all right, of 1 Samuel And I'm going to need your help this morning. At 9.45, if I'm not done, I just need you to collectively say, hootie hoo, okay? 9.45, I got to be done, all right? Um, so we stay on track. First Samuel chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 11 is where we're going to be this morning. All right, so we have a lot, all right, to read here. I'm going to need your grace as usual. There's names in here and places I can't pronounce, and you know this, okay? So give me some grace, but let's jump in together. Chapter 1, there was a certain man of Ramah of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham. Son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephraim, he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. 
Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you be on? Will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and they were back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Y'all with me? Then, Then the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him only. May the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, As you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He has lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. 
The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble binds on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to shoal and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash of heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The first thing I want to say to you about uh, 1 Samuel um, is that these, uh, 1 Samuel is a narrative. It's a story. Okay? And in narratives, in stories, just because you see something does not mean God likes it. All right? It's a story. It's telling you actually what happened, what went down. And so when you see Elkanah having, right, two wives, right, we don't sit here and go, oh, it's okay to have two wives. It must be okay. Look, you know, Elkanah's got two wives. What's the problem? Right? It's a narrative. It's a story. Okay, it's not communicating to us, all right, explicitly, all right, that, hey, God's okay with this because you, you see it. What you will see in the stories, you will be able to see, right, the consequences of things, right, that we, would, that, that, that we know are not God-honoring. We're going to see the consequence of Elkanah having two wives. And it doesn't explicitly say in the story, and God didn't like this, but that's not the point of a narrative, all right, but through the story, you'll be able to see, all right, what God condones and what he does not. And so remember that as we walk through 1 Samuel. Remember that when you're reading much of the Old Testament is, right, narrative, right? Remember that. Just because it's there doesn't mean God likes it. All right, the second thing I want you to know about narratives is this, is that you got to be careful on what you apply to your life. You got to be careful on what you apply to your life. Or, or in other words, saying that you got to be careful with what God promises and what he doesn't promise. Again, it's a narrative. All right, because you read this and you see Hannah, right, is not able to have children. And so Hannah starts uh, this uh, requesting. She starts this petition, right? Lord, my desire is for a child, right? If you give me a child, I'll lend him to you all the days of his life. The Lord grants Hannah, right, her request. You got to be careful then going, hey, the Lord, right, will grant my request if I ask him. The Lord will give me a child just like he gave Hannah a child. I just need to be more faithful or I just need to find Shiloh or I just need to find the right temple, right? And he'll give me my request. Okay, you got to be careful in what God promises and what he doesn't. And therefore, what you apply to your life because isn't it Paul in the New Testament who says, Lord, take away my suffering, Paul makes the same petition to the Lord. Lord, take away my suffering. Take away this great anxiety that I have. And the Lord says what? No. 
My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. No. Okay, so when you read narratives and you see these things, right, or you, you, you can't uh, attach things, right, and go, well, God did this here, so he has to do that for me if he's going to be of the same nature, the same character. Okay, got to be careful. So you look at this story, and we're talking about what, 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 what is the timeless principle here? You know, what is, what is going on for all of us here, right? You see Elkanah has two wives. Hannah is barren. The Lord's closed her womb, it says. Penina has a bunch of children, right? And it's like you kind of see this picture of they go to the temple every year and Elkanah gives Hannah a double portion of the sacrifice because he loves her. Right? She's crying. She won't eat. She won't drink. She's sad. Elkanah's like, why won't you eat? Am I not more than 10 children to you? I love you. Right? And then you have Panina who's, right, born all these children for Elkanah, but she doesn't get a double portion. Right? And so you can kind of see this picture of this relationship where Panina is like, uh, this relationship is kind of like out of duty to preserve the last name to preserve the line. Because in, right, Old Testament biblical times, that was very important, right, that you have offspring, your generation, right, you carry out the line. And so it's like, okay, Hannah, right, I love you. I love you. You know, but, you know, the Lord has closed your womb, so I'm going to take Panina as a concubine, right? She's going to bear children for me. But, right, he doesn't give her double portion. It was like a duty thing, it's when you, when, when you look at the story. You know, and you also see the story, it's year by year by year, when they go up to sacrifice, right, to God, it's at that point that the story says that Panina starts to irritate Hannah, starts to mock Hannah, Starts to annoy Hannah, make fun of her, right? You can't have children, you can't have children, right? And so you kind of see this picture of where it's likely that Panina probably stays, right, um, in a separate house. She probably does not live with Elkanah and Hannah, but it's once a year when they go to sacrifice, right? They're all together, and, and Panina is just going at Hannah. You can't have children. You can't have children. Look at me. I got all these children. You know, and to the point where she won't eat, she won't drink. Elkanah's like, hey, you're more to me than kids. I would have been like, if I'm Hannah, if I'm more to you than kids, why'd you take this broad? Logically. You know, I'm like, Elkanah, dude. Double standard, you know. Anyway, she won't eat, she won't drink. Um, You know, the passage says that she has a great anxiety. She has a great vexation, which is a a great ear, you know, a, a great annoyance, a great frustration. And she's pouring out her soul uh, to the point where Eli, right, is like, who is this drunken woman talking to the Lord? She's either possessed by some demon or she's had too much wine. And he says, hey, put down the bottle. You've had enough. She's like, I'm not drunk. I ain't had nothing. This is just 
my raw emotion. I got this unmet desire of wanting to have a child and I got this broad over here that won't leave me alone. It's just irritating me and I'm at my wit's end. And so Eli goes, hey, go in peace. May the Lord grant to you your petition, your request, right? And so she leaves, and it's, the, the narrative is interesting. Immediately after Eli says this, it says her face was no longer sad, and she went, and she ate, and she drank, which she hadn't done to this point. But Eli goes, hey, go in peace. May the Lord grant your petition, so the countenance of her sadness left, and she then ate and drank. It's like in this moment, like for the first time, she had this real hope. She believed what Eli said. You know, the priest, right, their role in the temple was to be a mediator uh, between the people of God and God. They would minister, right, to the people of God. Um, and, and so they're in a significant office. We don't need that anymore. I'm just, I'm talking monkey, right? You've got the Holy Spirit. Uh, you've got the great mediator, Jesus. Um, but that was the role of the priest here. All right, it was kind of this intermediate uh, filling the gap between God and the people. And she believed him. So she went. When she got home, it says Elkanah knew her. I mean, they got physically intimate. They got down. She bore a child. She named the child Samuel. Samuel means God heard me. That's what Samuel means. God heard me. And so she bears Samuel, and then it's time to go back to the temple to worship. And right, Hannah's like, hey, let me wean the child first before we go. If I'm Hannah, I'd be like, no, let's go. I am ready to stick it to Penina. I'm ready to walk with my child all the way there, right next to her and her children. What are you going to say now, right? But she's like, no, let me wean the child before I go and see the Lord at Shiloh, before I go sacrifice and worship. Why? Because when she goes up there, Samuel's not coming back home. Samuel ain't coming home. Samuel's staying there. Because she vowed to the Lord, right? You hear me. You grant the petition. I will lend my child to you. No razor will touch his head, which was a Nazarite vow. He will be in service to you. He's yours. So she is weaning the child until she can leave the child at the temple on his own. Now, think about that for a second. You've been in great vexation. You've been so irritated, annoyed. Your heart's been broken. It's been crushed year after year after year. This is your greatest desire. Then you leave the child? Yeah, I said it like this earlier this week. It's like you have your eyes set on whatever your car is, right? Oh, that, if, that's, my, that's my dream car. And so you take up a second job, and for 10 years, you save the paycheck from that second job, and you buy that car, and you bring that car home, and it's sitting in your driveway. And as soon as you roll up, right, you get a call from a pastor, because this, this would be something a pastor would do. They'd call you, be like, hey, I got somebody in need. They need a vehicle. I just heard you bought this brand new vehicle, your dream car. Can, can, can you lend it to them? Would you give it to them? Would you gift it 
I know you love it. I know you worked hard for it. Would you give it to them? You would be, Zach, you're out of your mind. Right? Some of you got cars. You would, you'd be like, you're out of your mind. Now you got, you got this child. We're not talking about a car. We're talking about this child that you weaned and then you left at Shiloh. What is, what is this all about? Because I know that this is, you read this, this is sensitive, this triggers things, this provokes things, right? For some of you, whether you've struggled to have children, you can't have children, or you're single, not married, but you desire, right, to be married and have children, this provokes and triggers some things. And, you know, so what is this all about? That's what I've asked myself all week. What is this all about? And I've looked at Hannah's response in chapter two. I've spent all week looking at what Hannah makes this about. Because right out the gate, we have to recognize that Hannah doesn't make this about having children. She doesn't make this about having children. She desires to bear a child. She desires to have a son. She longs for it. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That is right. Right? And our children are gifts from the Lord. But this is bigger. This is bigger. Hannah knows this is bigger than just having children or not being able to have children. Because if this was just about having children because she just wanted a child for companionship or whatever, look, she lent the child to the Lord. She weaned the child for three years, then left the child at Shiloh. So right out of the gate, this isn't for Hannah. This is not about, right, I want but to vicariously, right, live through my child or I would like, you know, come be, or I would like to raise. She's not even raising her child. She doesn't even have that privilege. She doesn't have that duty. She lent the child to the Lord. What is it about? Let's look at her response. My heart exalts in the Lord, meaning she has this um, uh, victorious elation. She's just elated in victory. My horn is exalted in the Lord. That's a Jewish picture of two bulls fighting, right? And after two bulls fight, the, the, the winner, the winning bull stands over the other one and would lift his horns up in the air, signifying victory. So she says, my horn is exalted or is lifted in the Lord. I am victorious. My mouth derides my enemies. My mouth scoffs at, mocks, shows contempt for my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. She starts off this, and it is a picture of her standing over Penina victoriously while her horns are lifted, 
as she scoffs, as she mocks Penina. That's the picture here in verse 1 of chapter 2. She goes on. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. She says, God, you are set apart, and not only are you set apart, you're always set apart. Because you wouldn't be worth serving and living for if you were just set apart a week at a time. But she goes, you're a rock, you're stable. You're always set apart. Verse 3, so she says, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. Penina, because the Lord is set apart and holy and he always will be, you probably should stop talking so proudly. You probably should stop walking so arrogantly. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Penina, he's going to weigh your actions. So talk no more proudly. Walk no more arrogantly. He's a God full of knowledge, and he's going to weigh your actions with justice. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Verse 5 put a little mark here, whatever. We're going to hang out here for the rest of the time. This is what it's all about for Hannah. This is what she's saying to you and I this morning. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. She says, Penina, you considered yourself full and therefore you've hired yourself out for bread. But those who were hungry... have ceased to hunger. What does that mean? Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. All right, Panina had everything that the world said she ought to have. She was able to bear children. She had this status. She had, right, um, there wasn't shame for not being able to bear children, right? She, um, by world standards, she had what she thought, and she, uh, she was content. And what the world told her, she ought to have. Those who are full or those who are content in the world will always have to hire themselves out for bread. What do I mean by that? You will have to day after day after day labor for fullness because your fullness is temporary. It's not everlasting. It's fleeing. If your contentment is in the world, if how you become satisfied are things of the world, you will hire yourselves out for labor every day. And you will work, and you will work, and you will work trying to stay full. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. 
Hannah's saying, right, I thirst, I hunger for something different, Penina. Yes, I desire to have children. But my children or having children, that is not my inheritance. That is not where my fullness comes from. I hunger for something greater than that. And therefore, I cease to hunger. The next sentence is powerful. This fan keeps blowing my Bible. The barren has born seven. As we continue to read, we'll see that Hannah has more children, not just Samuel. The Lord gives her more. The barren has born seven. I born seven. But she, Penina, who has many children, is forlorn. What is that? Forlorn. Abandoned. Lonely. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Shoal and raises up. The old proverb says here about Penina and Sarah, or in Hannah, the more that Hannah, the more children Hannah had, the more children Penina lost. And so what happens is that Hannah finds herself surrounded by children and surrounded by the company of God. And Penina finds herself abandoned and lonely. Now, why is Penina abandoned and lonely? Why is she lonely? Her inheritance was her children. So when the inheritance was gone, so was her contentment. So was her fullness. And I want to talk about parenting this morning, but sidebar, don't make your children your inheritance. They're a gift of God to be stewarded and loved and raised. Don't make them your inheritance. Because you'll just labor day in and day out trying to find fullness. This is about who God makes company with, who God exalts, and who he brings down. That's what Hannah makes this about. She's this bull standing over Penina with her horns lifted. This is about who God exalts and who God crushes. Isaiah chapter 57, if you go there, we'll end with this. But this is as clear as it gets about who God makes company with, who he makes friendship with, who he exalts, and who he doesn't make company with, and who he crushes. Isaiah 57, verse 14, and it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, 
Remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. God says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Who does God make company with? The contrite. Who does God exalt? The contrite. That is why Hannah says, talk no more proudly. Walk no more arrogantly. She understands that it's the contrite that God makes friendship with. That God revives that God gives victory to. What does contrite mean? Contrite means I know my brokenness. I know my brokenness. Panina's walking up to Shiloh every year with Hannah over here thinking there's nothing wrong with her. She's got it all. She's full off the world. Children and all, able to, you know, to, to provide Elkanah with things. She's got it. She's not broken. She was the solution to Hannah's problem. She's not broken. The opposite of contrite. She knew not her brokenness. Hannah knew her brokenness. And hear me, her brokenness was not, not, not being, a, it was nothing about children. That was not her brokenness. She doesn't make this about having children. She didn't make this about, oh, I would be full if I had the child. She did have the child. She gave it away. She knew her brokenness. She knew she needed the Lord. She knew that salvation was found in the Lord. She knew that content, fullness came from him. That's who God makes company with. Those that know their brokenness and those that know their need for him. Those are the people that will be victorious. Those who are full on the world will hire themselves out for bread. Gotta chew on that this week. Do I spin my wheels trying to find contentment, trying to find fullness? Am I just every day spinning my wheels looking for it? Hannah goes, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will cease to hunger. They will cease to hunger. They'll live in this constant state of fullness. And peace. Okay. Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Lord, show us, um, show us what you mean when you say to me, to us, you're going to hire yourself out. You're going to have to keep laboring. Show me why I'm trying to get my full. 
Show us where we're trying to get full. Then turn us in the right direction. Show us where our inheritance really is. Because if we are able to see God where our inheritance really is, then we can take the things that you give us and truly steward them. Truly love them. Turn us this week. Face us towards our real inheritance. God, I pray that your spirit would minister uh, to the souls in the room that realize they're broken. That you would build them up for you revive the contrite. God, I pray that your spirit would minister to those in this room who look at Hannah and shake their fist at Hannah because their longing is to have children. God, I pray that your spirit would be the great counselor, the great caregiver, that you would remind them that they too are victorious. You would remind them that your grace is sufficient today and tomorrow. That your spirit would bind them up. God, we ask this in your name and the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen.